Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. So we now come to the time in our service in which we have the reading of God's Word. We invite those who are able to stand as a way to honor and to pay attention to the reading of God's Word, which comes from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. Then Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows what you have done. He will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken and those who stumbled are now strong. Those who were well fed are now starving and those who were starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to his king. He increases the strength of his anointed one. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. So, Lord, we pray that you would just meet us here wherever we are, whatever we came with, whatever's on our heart, whatever's on our mind, wherever we are, Lord, meet us here. And may you be our reason to praise. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we've been in this series over the past few weeks uh, called Yelling at God, and we have been looking at at different kinds of of prayers and different times in which we can yell at God. And so we have these times of of prayers of despair. We have these prayers of uh, anger. We have these prayers of lament. Um, But today, there's another kind of time in which we raise our voice, and that is when we are cheering people on, right? Um, that that is another time in which we raise our, our voice. Uh, and so in, in just a little bit, our family is going to be going on vacation, and we're going to be going up to Chicago. And one of the things that we will be doing there is we are going to be going to a Cubs game. Now, it is my hope that I have some reasons to raise my voice positively at the Chicago Cubs. There haven't been a lot of reasons this year thus far to raise my voice positively at the Chicago Cubs, but I'm hoping that while we're there, at least for that one night, um, they're playing the Reds, so I mean, certainly they can beat the Reds, right? Um, And that that we'll be able to, to cheer. Um, and be able to celebrate. And this is another reason why, why we raise our voices. We lift them up. 
In fact, that was some of what we were just doing in worship is that we were raising our voices and, and, and we were shouting and yelling our praise at God. That's part of who we are and what we do is that we are called to praise. Now, when do we, we get the loudest? When do we praise the most? It's whenever we've journeyed the furthest. It's whenever we've gone from here to there. Uh, one of my favorite annual traditions is to watch One Shining Moment. It's a song they play after the March Madness basketball tournament. And I, I just love just watching it. And one of the things that it's said in that song year after year is all these years, no one knows just how hard you worked, but now it shows. For that one shining moment, and of course, uh, we all love to see the underdog, the people that, that nobody um, expects to win, who all of a sudden wins. Nobody knows all the years that they've spent. They haven't been on ESPN. They haven't been um, playing in front of 15,000 people. They've been in some small gym somewhere working just as hard as everybody else, and they finally get the opportunity. And the celebrations at the end of those upsets are just amazing to see and to experience. Because when we've reached a mountain and we look back and we see how far we've come, we have a lot of reason to praise and celebrate. And you've probably done that in your own life as well, where something has happened and you just have like just celebrated because of something that has just happened. Now, sometimes I find that my car is a really good place to do that. Because when I yell in my car as I'm driving down the road, nobody else, I don't like weird people out that way. Um, you know, that's just, you know, if I'm walking down the street and I'm yelling at, and I'm celebrating, that looks a little weird. Um, though there's biblical precedents for, for dancing in the middle of the street strangely before God and before other people. Um, that's a, a story of, of David. Um, but I'm just not that committed um, to, to celebrating in that way. Um, but there are times um, in which we look back and we see what God has done and we see how far we've come. Um, that we are called to praise. And one of those stories is actually the scripture that we just read in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's a story of Hannah, and we find more of the story of Hannah, what, what led up to that poem, what led up to that prayer that we read earlier. Uh, we find the backstory in chapter 1. And so I want us to kind of walk through a little bit of chapter 1 together so we can understand why she felt the way that she did. And so the story begins in this way. It says, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah did not. Now that says a lot in that last sentence, doesn't it? Penina had children, but Hannah did not. I know that one of the, the most difficult things uh, for, for people, um, especially women, is for those who, who are not able to have children. Uh, uh, Mother's Day can be a very hard Sunday. Some people avoid church, some people avoid crowds, because it's a very difficult day. Um, we still, and, and we should honor our mothers, that's a commandment, but, but I know that for those who are not mothers or unable to be mothers or had something tragic happen, this idea of not being a mom is so, so painful. And it resonates with them. And, and so if it's painful now, it was also painful back then. And it especially was painful because um, having a son meant that you were going to be well taken care of for the rest of your life. Um, it was a patriarchal society, which meant that whoever the oldest living male was, it was his responsibility to take care of his mom. And so if you did not have a son, when, when the husband would pass away, she would be a widow and then nobody was necessarily responsible for. And so this sentence is just loaded with grief. One had something and the other didn't. 
And I think that so often in life we find ourselves in grief because somebody has something and we do not. Somebody has their life put together. They're living the way in which we want to, but we do not. They have a successful career, but we do not. They have the family, uh, the big family gatherings, and we do not. They have all the friends, at least it appears so on Instagram, and we do not. And so this comparison and this gap causes grief and pain, and we probably experience that at some point in time. And so Hannah was experiencing that as well. And one of the practices that they would do is that they'd go to the temple or the tabernacle, and each year they would bring an offering as a family. And so Penina and Hannah and Elkanah and Penina's children would all go. And it was just like sort of rubbing salt in a wound. It says in um, 1.6, it says, So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. This is cruel and mean, right? We can be cruel and mean sometimes. We can be on the receiving end of of being cruel and mean. Like I said, it's kind of like rubbing salt in a wound. It just stings and it hurts to have this reminder that here in the place of God, I'm not able to have what I've been praying for and somebody else is just bringing me down. In 1 verse 7, it says these words, year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Do you hear the grief? Do you, do you experience that? Have you ever been so, so, so low that you just can't eat and you can barely breathe? Imagine that experience year after year after year that she was going through. Now, her husband, Elkanah, he was trying to be a good husband. And there are times when husbands, we try to be a good husband, but we just miss the mark. All right. And so what it, what it basically says uh, in, in one of the next verses is it says, Elkanah, he would, he would see her and she's feeling bad. And if your wife is crying and you don't know what to do, you always feel bad. Right. And you're trying to figure out a way to do something. So he tried to say the comforting thing. And he said, El, he said Hannah, aren't I enough? Aren't I worth more than 10 sons? No. <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, just the, the grief, because I imagine she's going to look and she's like, I've been praying to the Lord. And also, when you die, somebody's going to have to take care of me. And so he tried to help out, but it, it didn't work out so well. And, uh, and I, I, I think we, uh, many of us, we, whether it be with our spouse or with a friend or something, we try to be helpful and it doesn't always uh, work out. And so Hannah goes and, and she goes and she, she prays in the, the temple Um, And it says that she was in deep anguish, crying bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, this last part, the no razor, seems a little strange, but that's actually a Nazarite vow, somebody who was set apart for the Lord um, that was found back in in Numbers. And so she's saying, I am going to give him to you. Now, think about how extraordinary this is, that that, that what she wants most, she wants to be able to to give to the Lord. Now, as I was was looking at this, I I noticed uh, some things. And one of the things that I like to do when I read Scripture is I like to pay attention to the verbs that are used. 
And so whenever you read scripture, one of the things sometimes you can look at is to look at the verbs. And so let's look at the verbs that are in this verse. It says, if you will only look. You know, it's easy sometimes for us to say, God, where are you? Don't you see that I'm miserable here? Like, look at me. In fact, that's one of the most important things is to be seen. This past week, um, I was at a thing called Youth Force. I'll be talking a little bit more about it later, but it's a youth mission experience. We have 7th through 12th graders from a variety of churches who have gathered together to work on houses and projects. Now, when you get 7th through 12th graders who don't know each other and who may not know anybody else in the group, you can imagine that, that they all want to be seen. And, and, and what I realized when I was a youth director many years ago is that all students... They want attention. And if they get attention for doing the, if they don't get attention for doing the right things, they will quickly turn to getting attention doing the wrong things. And we've all seen that. Now, what I would say is adults, we do the same things too. One of the reasons why we often act out in a variety of different ways is because we don't feel seen. We don't feel noticed. And we want to be seen and noticed. We want people to notice us. And we want God to notice us. Look. And one of the worst feelings in the world is to feel unseen. And so she cries out to God, and part of our prayer to God can sometimes be, look. Don't you see me? Don't you notice me? In a time in which there's billions and billions of people, will God even notice me? Look at my misery. Now the next thing she says is to remember me. Now we're going to be talking about this in a, in a little bit more about what this word remember me um, but, but one of the things that when we pray to God, we can say, remember your promises. Remember your, what you've asked of us. Remember who you have called me to be. I'm one of your people. Will you remember me? And then give. Give. And this can be our pattern of prayer. Look at me. Remember me. And give me. Give me a son. Why? Not so that I can protect it, but so that I can offer it back unto you and unto the world. Look, remember, and give. Now she was, I, I sort of imagine her praying at the altar. I know it looked very different back in those days, but this is what I have in my head of this woman who is praying at the altar and, and the priest shows up to work and he hears this loud commotion coming from the sanctuary. And he's like, who in the world is in there and what is wrong with her? And so this is what happens with Eli, who was a priest. Now, he's not the best priest, but at least he knows a little bit of how to, to do his job. And so when he hears this woman who is just crying out, who is bitter in anguish, he thinks, what is this drunk woman doing in a sanctuary? And so he comes, and I can only imagine, he's like, excuse me? Just sort of trying to figure out what's going on. And, um, and, and he says, or, or, have you had a little too much to drink and and, and, and Hannah says, no, my heart's just broken. And I've been crying out to God, and I've been crying out to God. I've been crying that he would see me. I've been crying that he would remember me. I've been crying out that he would give me what I have been looking for. Look, remember, give, and nothing has happened. And maybe that's been your story as well, is that you've been in a season that feels like it's been days, weeks, months, years, decades of praying to God, God, deliver me, help me, do something, and it feels like God is silent. And if you are in that place right now, you are in actually territory that is well known. In fact, I love the way that one pastor has said it. 
He says, until you have stood for years, knocking at a door with knuckles bleeding, you do not really know what prayer is. And so sometimes we just keep knocking and knocking and saying, God, remember me, see me, do something. And maybe some of you, you're praying the same prayer that you were two years ago or five years ago or ten years ago. And you look down and your knuckles are bloody and you're at a place of prayer. Maybe others of you, it's like, man, this has been a tough week. And your knuckles haven't even begun to get the calluses yet. We keep praying and praying. Now, I mentioned Eli wasn't the best priest, but he was a faithful one. And and he knew the right things to say. And he said these words, in that case... The fact that you're not drunk, the fact that you're just crying out to God, he says, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. And she trusted in that word from the priest. Now, I stand in a dangerous place as a pastor, um, as somebody who, who sometimes fills this priestly category, this representation uh, we all have access to God. You don't need to go through me. But part, sometimes I can play this priestly role of being this mediator between you and God. And so in, in the spirit of Eli, if you've been knocking for years, weeks, months, if you've been praying out in anguish, I'm going to pray these words over you. Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request that you have asked of him. Because he is good. He does see us. He does remember us. And he does give good gifts to his children. And so we hear in just a few verses these words. The Lord remembered. There's that word again, her plea. And in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. For she said, I asked the Lord for him. Samuel means God has heard. God has heard her cry, and he did respond. Now, that word remembered, I thought that I remembered that that was an important word in Hebrew. And so every few months, I like to remind you that I went to seminary, um, and, uh, and I do that by telling you a Hebrew or a Greek word that seems important. Um, and so I even try to pronounce it right, but none of you know Hebrew, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but the word is, the, Lord, the word remembered is the word zakar. And this word um, is, is a different kind of remember than sometimes we think, all right? So does anybody remember the capital of South Dakota? Pierre, did I hear that? All right, hey, very good. I got one person who knows the capital of South Dakota. Whew, I did Minnesota earlier in the first service, uh, and uh, we had a few people. Um, but, but yeah, so, so sometimes when we think of remember, we think of it in that way, of, of just like, I remember a fact about something. Um, but that's not what zakar means, that, that the Lord, oh yeah, that lady prayed one time. Um, but I like the way um, that, that this commentary put it. It said, to zakar is to employ your hands and feet and limbs and lips to engage in whatever action that remembrance requires. It's one thing to remember something in your head. It's another thing to zakar something with your body. And and, and as I read this commentary, they said, there's a big difference when a spouse remembers the date of their anniversary and when the spouse remembers the anniversary, right? 
It's one thing to say, oh yeah, my anniversary is on this date. It's another thing when that date rolls around on the calendar to give gifts, to make that other person to feel loved and special, right? To zakar, to remember. And so here, the Lord zakarred her. And he acted, he moved, he went towards her and gave her what she was looking for. And in turn, Hannah did something extraordinary. She received the son. And then as he got older, she gave him back to the Lord. Now, this is so different than probably what you and I do whenever we get what we've been praying for because we begin to cover it up and we want to protect it at all costs. That, that, Lord, I prayed for this and you gave it to me and now nothing is ever going to come close to it. I will protect it. But what, what this example of Hannah is, is that she so trusts God with what he entrusted to her that he gave her son, her most important possession, back to God. and said, thank you, Lord, here you go. And I think that's an example for us that when we get what we're praying for, it's not for our own stinginess, but it's for the world and it's for others to be able to do this. Our temptation is to protect what's most precious. But what our scriptures tell us is to give to God what is most precious. And so we get to come to the prayer that we read at the beginning of the service. And I want you to hear the beginning of that prayer. And you're going to hear it differently now that you know Hannah's story. My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Can you imagine the joy that she would have at the end of this journey as she's on the mountain and she looks down at the valley and she sees how far she's come. My heart rejoices in the Lord. These aren't just words on a page. They aren't just lyrics in a song. They are a full expression of her being. Now I have an answer for my enemies. Now she didn't name her enemies, but I'm pretty sure one started with the letter P, right? I rejoice. Why? Because you have rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. And in fact, the joy of answered prayers is unlike any other joy that we often experience. It's such a gift. It's such an uplifting experience. When we allow ourselves to see the goodness of God, and when we see what he's done, it should cause us to be filled with joy. And there's these, this gift of prayers that are answered. Now, as I mentioned this past week, um, I went to, to Youth Force. Um, and uh, this church hosted a Youth Force about 10 or 12 years ago. I know many of you may um, be familiar with it. But for those of you who aren't, again, it's this youth mission experience. And so Monday through Thursday, um, we were broken into God squads to work on repairing a house. Um, and so we, uh, there was a variety of different projects that were done. Um, there was a couple of roofs that were put on people's homes. Imagine you had a leaky roof one week, and then, uh, if Lord willing, if it ever rains again in Oklahoma, um, the next time it rains, you don't even notice it inside. What a gift that would be. There was one house that they, they built a wheelchair ramp. Apparently at this house, the wheelchair ramp went right from the front door right into the road. That's dangerous for their son to go down. So they rebuilt a new ramp that was ADA compliant and everything else, and now they don't have to be scared. Every time they leave the house, they can leave the house freely um, because they don't have to worry about him going straight into the road um, when he left. What a gift that would be. Can you imagine how many times they pray just for 
Somehow, Lord, would you just allow us to get our son in and out of the house safely? Most of us um, did, did siding projects um, on our houses. And so let me, I think we got a, a picture of, uh, we take homes that kind of start like this. And so um, this was actually the, the home that I, walk, that, that I worked on, Mary and Robert Walker. This was the, the house that um, we started with. Um, now, I, as a God Squad leader, they, they said, um, Aaron, you've done siding before, which the answer is yes, but I was 17. And I had forgotten <laughs> Um, you know, also, um, one of the things is, is that we, uh, uh, there, you can't, I mean, there's, you can tell a little bit of slope in the roof. And so we were doing, um, we had to do these like peaks as well. And uh, the, we had this guy who was a tech angel. His name was Jim. He knew what the heck he was doing. I had no clue. All right. They're like, we just need a J channel around this. I was like, yeah, we do. All right. By the end of the week, by like Wednesday or Thursday, I was like, oh yeah, we can J channel that. Uh, that'll be real easy. But then he started to do math. Now I took AP Calc. Like I used to know all that stuff. But like they were trying to figure out the angle of the slope and how, how to cut the board and all that sort of stuff. And there was tan and I thought, I'm getting tan, but I'm not sure what that has to do with the angle anymore. Like, whew, all that stuff had just left me. All right. And so that was the before picture of our house. I think we got an after picture um, of the house. Um, and it's just amazing, right, to be able to see something that had happened. And Mary and Robert were so thrilled um, because they, they drove up and they walked around and they were just so proud of their house. Um, that, that they were able to do. Now, on Monday of that week, um, we, we would get together as God Squad leaders and um, other people, and, and we, I began to hear about this lady named Pearl. Now, Pearl, um, they, they talked about the joy that she had. She had been a Methodist pastor. She had been a, a police officer. Um, and, and they just talked about how excited she was. And so uh, Pearl was the, uh, my son Micah um, got to go. So this is Pearl's house. Um, and so Micah, who's in seventh grade, um, this was a house that he worked on. Mike Pierce, um, who's also part of our church, he worked on um, this house. And so this is what Pearl's house looked like before. Um, I think we got an after picture as well for that one. Um, just a brand new home. Um, as the siding was replaced. And think about it, not only do they feel pride when they drive up, but also the insulation is going to lower their electric bill. Um, they're going to be able to just have a safer, better house. Um, and what a gift that is for them. And, and, and so I sort of wondered, um, you know, I wanted to know more about this pearl. And so Wednesday, um, they, they had dinner for, for the homeowners and they also would come to worship. Now, Pearl just had the biggest smile on her face. And, and one of the great gifts for me as a dad is, is I was walking with, with Micah and she said, uh, she, she tapped me on the shoulder and she had this huge grin. She said, your son has worked so hard all week. Um, and I was just like, awesome. I mean, it was just such a gift. Um, and then that night they showed this video in worship. Um, instead of me trying to talk about it, let me just show you um, and have you all meet Pearl and hear what she has to say and the joy that she exhibits. My name is Pearl Broom, and I've resided here in Erdmore, Oklahoma for almost 33 years, and I've resided at 312 F Street for approximately 31 years. And I am so grateful to God for His grace and His mercy and His goodness, because having your home renovated through Volunteers in Mission, through First United Methodist Church, is one of the greatest experiences that I think anyone could experience. And it's such a blessing to have all these youth, all these uh, mentors out to assist with our young people and to homeowners that are unable to renovate their home and then to have young people to come in and refurbish it, 
renovated. It's God's grace. It's nothing but a God. And I thank God for each and every home that's being renovated. And I also thank God for all the young people. Because a lot of times young people could be doing other things, like playing games and things, and they've decided to take this time off to really serve in whatever capacity they could, uh, doing good deeds, good works for the Lord. So I just thank God for it. And I thank God for my home. My home looks 100 degrees different from what it did three or four days ago. And uh, when I see each and every day the tacks, the nails, the siding, the insulation, the good things that these young people are doing, you can't help but say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For each church that is represented here, I say thank you, Jesus, for each participant because I give God all the praise and all the glory, and I thank you. Many years ago, First United Methodist Church here in Arden were the volunteers in mission. And I've been on mission trips before and worked with young people, but it's just amazing that I got selected because I needed it for them to come work on my home. I don't mind the noise. I don't mind anything that they're doing because I have met new friends. I have met young people that really know the Lord. I've met, met young people that really know how to pray. Young people that are really seeking the Lord. So what is a little noise for these temporary? When we get to heaven, there's going to be a whole lot of noise that's going on. And I thank each and every one of these young people and the older people too. Each pastor that's come by, I thank him. I really, really do. It's wonderful. It's really wonderful. And so I feel good about it. And I, it has given me an opportunity to, to interact with these young people. And having a uh, pastor of the church myself, uh, you come in contact with young people and just to see how they are. And if I'm not mistaken, I think we have youngsters here at this site that range in age like from the seventh grade through the twelfth. That's amazing. That is amazing. And that's God. So I'm happy about They can make more noise, more noise, and more noise. It's good to me. It sounds good because the afternoon. I would like to thank our team is team number nine. I want to truly, truly thank them and pray that God blesses each and every one of them, not only the youth, but like I said, their mentors as well. And not only team nine that's here, but all over this state where the, our youngsters are working, and especially in Oregon. I thank each and every one of the youth that have taken out special time to show their service and their love for, for the Lord. And I just thank them, thank them, thank them. I know Jesus is smiling. <laughs> so I know Jesus is smiling too. And, and, and you can imagine if you meet Pearl, like if you were just to meet her at, at randomly at a Walmart in Ardmore or something, that the joy that she had would just overflow because that's who, who she is. But to be able to think how often she prayed, I don't know what I'm going to do about my house, but God, would you do something? And when God does it, it's, it's an amazing delivery. And so over these past few weeks, we have been talking about the intensity of prayer, of lament, of anger, of despair, but also that same intensity should match with our intensity of praise. And when we come together to worship, we need to bring forth that emotion of a God who took us out of the pit and has placed us onto the solid rock that has led us from the valley or the caves and has led us up into the mountain, and we bring that with us. And so often we can just go ho-hum, it's another day. 
And sometimes we can forget about the goodness or faithfulness of God, but part of our discipline is to worship. And sometimes we get what we're praying for. We get siding on our house. We get people to come. Sometimes we get that child. Sometimes we get it. And other times we don't. And I don't claim to know why God does this and not that. And, and, I, and I don't know other than just to keep praying and to keep asking. But I came across this quote from Frederick Beekner, who's a pastor. And I wanted to share it with you because I think it really resonates. He says these words, the God you pray to will finally respond. And even if he does not bring you the answer you want, he will bring you himself. And maybe at the secret heart of all of our prayers, that is really what we are praying for. It's to be close to the one who made us. It's to be the close to the one who gives us life. To be close to the one who loves us immensely and who sent his son into the world to die for us so that we might know and experience the resurrection. Now, this is not just something that happens out there in special events, but, but in our church and in our community, amazing things happen. And so I want to introduce you to my friend Gage, and I'm going to invite Gage to come up. Um, I met Gage on Easter Sunday, and together we've had some conversations. You might have noticed uh, guitar playing going on and joy that, that comes from Gage. And so I just want him to share a little bit of his story of what God has done. Good morning, Mustang United Methodist Church. Thank you for having me. My name is Gage Hagen. I grew up here in Mustang, just right by the Walmart, and my family's pretty much been here my whole life. And I want to share with you a story about the Lord. So like probably all of you, I've been through some pretty intense stuff. To share with you some of the misfortunes I've been through, I've been through betrayal, I have been with loved ones who have grappled with death and substance abuse and alcohol, and I've even lost a parent. I was eight years old when suddenly I had to figure out life without my dad. And all of this built up, and it seemed like every time I would cry out to the sky, where was God? And I asked my grandmother one day, how does this prayer thing work? Can I pray out loud? What, what can I do? And she said, yeah, of course. I, pr I pray in the car all the time. And, you know, she, she says, if you see a penny on the ground, the Lord's watching. So she picks up the pennies and says, thank you, Lord. So I went out to this pond in our neighborhood, and I just started to let it out. Aaron was talking about knocking on the door. Uh, I felt like for 20 years I've been knocking on the door, and nobody has been answering me. And I just let it all out to this pond one day, and suddenly I felt a presence. I felt like there was this warmth that was just washing over me, like some cosmic being was up above and was just cradling my soul. And I woke up the next morning, and I flew out of bed, and it was 8 o'clock, and I hadn't been to any religious function, I hadn't been to no church, nothing in more than a decade, and for some reason, something told me, I gotta go to church today. <laughs> and so I did, and I got here just in time, just, just a few weeks ago, it seems, and it was Easter Sunday, and Aaron was praying, well, he was, he was uh, leading a sermon about the death and the resurrection of Christ, but he said something that stuck with me, he said, Christ doesn't bring resurrection. Christ is resurrection. Everywhere he goes flourishes and just lights up. And so when you invite Jesus into your life, you invite that healing, 
that clarity, that release from the death in your life. And I got up right here on the altar and I prayed. And I said, God, I have held this all on my own and tried to figure this out for as long as I possibly can and I cannot hold it anymore. I'm going to give this to you. And as I started to invite Christ as my Savior, I began to cry. And I began to feel all that weight and all that torture just roll off of me. And I'm here to tell you that you can share it with God. No matter how heavy it is, no matter what shape your pain is, and no matter how bad it hurts, you don't have to carry it alone anymore. God is there, and he'll be there to carry it with you. Thank you. So, so uh, one thing that uh, I talked about with Gage but between services, as I said, it feels like that, that I need to ask you a couple questions, because uh, that, that, this is why we do church. Um, it, it's because there are people like Gage who are out in the world who, who need a safe place to pour their heart out before God and to be, um, to say, you belong here. Um, and so um, today he's going to join the church um, and profess his faith as he's already done. And so, uh, so, uh, so Gage, do you accept and profess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I do. And... Will you be a, a member of this church and be a part of this church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? I will. I will. Let's give Gage a hand and welcome him into our family. Yeah. And so when you see Gage up here playing the guitar and you see him lift his hands, it's a little bit more like Hannah because you know the story. And so what we're going to do now is we're just going to, to praise God. So you can get to the guitar now. Um, uh, where we, where we, uh, and, uh, and we're just going to have an opportunity to do that. And maybe some of you are in a place like Gage. You don't even know why you're here. You just showed up. Um, and uh, so maybe you, you can reach out to us in prayer. You can come to this altar as we sing our closing song. And you can pray and you can lay your heart out to God. I'd be glad to meet with you. I've had the privilege of meeting with Gage over the past um, couple months to, to just hear the story of what God is doing in Gage's life. Um, and so maybe that's you as well. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.